Welcome and thank you for standing by. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode until the question and answer session of the call. To ask a question during that time, please press star followed by number one. Today's conference is being recorded. Any objections, you may disconnect at this time. Now I'd like to turn over the meeting to Matthew Rojanski, Director of the Keenan Institute at the Wilson Center. Hi, uh, thank you very much to everyone for joining us. Uh, this is obviously um, a moment of interesting developments uh, in Russia. Uh, it is our job to observe those developments, uh, but mostly to analyze them and try to put them in context. So that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. Um, the developments I'm talking about, of course, uh, began, as far as we're aware, uh, with uh, President Putin's announcement about constitutional changes, which was mooted, in fact, in December and then announced in fuller form last week on January 15th, uh, which then triggered uh, the resignation of the government, that is to say the Prime Minister, Dmitry Medvedev, and the Cabinet of Ministers, um, and the appointment since then of a new Prime Minister and gradual trickling information uh, about potential new government officials, uh, as well as the submission of uh, the formal proposed constitutional amendments uh, to the legislature. So that's the state of play as we have it now. Uh, we have three really uh, deep, uh, experienced uh, analysts to talk to you about what all of this means and where it may be headed. Uh, and what I'm going to do is just uh, introduce them as I hand them the floor. They'll each talk for about five minutes, and then we'll have plenty of time uh, for questions and answers. And I believe you press star one on your phone to be added to the question queue, so feel free to do that at any time. Uh, we won't lose track of you. Um, we're going to begin with Sergei Parhomenko. Uh, senior advisor here at the Kennan Institute, uh, very well-known Russian journalist and publisher, uh, founder of a number of projects uh, aimed at civic activism and promotion of liberal values in Russia. Uh, in particular, he was the first editor-in-chief and founder of Itogi, uh, Russia's first current affairs weekly, uh, which was published in cooperation with Newsweek, has also served as editor-in-chief of several uh, publishing houses and worked in uh, translation. Um, and was editor-in-chief of Bakrug Sveta, uh, Russia's oldest monthly magazine. Uh, he has, uh, probably <coughs> best known to all of you, since 2003, uh, been a very well-known voice on Echo of Moscow Radio, presenting the uh, weekly program Sut Sabliti. So, without further delay, Sergey. Thank you, Matt. Uh, the, the first impression of... Uh, of uh, Putin's declaration uh, for for uh, Russian Parliament uh, last Wednesday was that that uh, Vladimir Putin uh, decided something, decided something important, and the first impression was he will abandon uh, the uh, function of Russian president even before 2004. To be to to, to self replaced replaced to another post, uh, maybe a created post of of uh, president of state council. Uh, and the second impression was uh, he almost destroyed the presidential power uh, because uh, some part of of presidential uh, presidential. Uh, mm, uh, 
competences uh, goes uh, to prime minister or to parliament. But it was uh, uh, just the first impression. Uh, because uh, now we see the constitutional amendment proposed by uh, Putin, and we see uh, uh, clearly that it's uh, absolutely another situation. The presidential presidential power is uh, more uh, reinforced, is enlarged, and uh, uh, after this presidential uh, amendments, uh, after this Putin amend amendments. Uh, uh, Russian regime be, be, became uh, will become uh, much more presidential regime, much more authoritarian regime, with much uh, important uh, concentration of uh, different power uh, on the hand uh, of a president. Uh, another scenarios uh, like the scenario of of creation of some. Uh, uh, some uh, Russian Belarusian Union or something like this to create also a new possibility to Putin to conserve his uh, supreme power uh, and uh, being uh, president of some uh, new created uh, uh, interstate council or something something like this. This scenario is not abandoned. It's, it's quite possible, possible even after this. Uh, um, constitutional uh, amendment. Uh, and uh, we see that uh, uh, after this, uh, uh, Putin will control, absolutely will control. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, after, after this, Putin will, will control. Uh, the nomination of all the uh, government and his uh, power to nominate uh, force um, uh, ministers like Minister of Defense, uh, Director of uh, FSB, uh, Minister of uh, Foreign, uh, Foreign Affairs, and so on, uh, will be uh, fixed uh, on the level of level of constitution. In another very important thing uh, is the new right of president to dismiss member of uh, Supreme Court and constitutional uh, constitutional court. Uh, the role of constitutional court he uh, will be uh, totally controlled by by president will be very important in the new Putin system. Because uh, the role of this court is to to uh, explain why uh, Russia, with a new constitution, with a with amended constitution, is a quite new Russia, is a new state where uh, all history uh, is uh, uh, is uh, started from scratch, and uh, all uh, um, account of presidents uh, uh, president. Um, uh, Elections is counted from from scratch. I think uh, the most uh, um, probably uh, most uh, most important scenario now, uh, most evident scenario now is uh, Putin will stay uh, as the pre president for two more or much more. I don't know uh, new uh, new um, periods. And uh, it will be it, it, he will he will just conserve 
this uh, system of uh, his personal rule in Russia. Okay, thanks very much, Sergey. We'll go to Max now. Uh, Max is also a senior advisor at the Kennan Institute. He's editor-in-chief of uh, Kennan's Russia File blog uh, and is also editor-at-large of Vietamosti, uh, which is an independent Russian daily newspaper. Uh, he's been a contributing opinion writer for the International New York Times since 2013. Um, in addition to his weekly publication on the Russia File, uh, he writes a column in Russian uh, on uh, societal and institutional change uh, in the former Soviet region. So, Max, the floor is yours. Uh, hi, Matt, and um, hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, uh, to be honest, uh, I think it's um, everyone who's um, pronouncing anything at this moment, I think, should uh, take pause simply because this whole story uh, does look like a special operation, which is... Uh, you know, the way uh, the Kremlin has been operating under Putin for the entire 20 years. We've witnessed uh, situations, similar similar situations, where, well, suddenly, out of the blue, uh, President Putin appears and, and changes the laws, changes the rules in, um, in a moment where no one expected, like, I don't know, like after the Beslan tragedy, the uh, the terrorist attack in Beslan, the Ningush city where um, uh, hundreds of uh, people, including children, died in a terrorist attack, uh, Putin uh, in a few days announced a sweeping uh, legislative change that included, uh, for example, the, uh, the banned... Um, Elections for governors in all of Russia's regions. So some, something similar is happening now. Out of the blue, uh, the political leadership of the Kremlin decides to change the constitution and uh, uh, change the rules. And uh, a lot of the discussion right now in Russia, what I see, what I hear from friends and uh, uh, and experts and um, and uh, pundits uh, is uh, basically why the rush, why is why why, why what's happened um, and um, apparently it might might be something that's out of the public eye. Uh, something happened inside the system, uh, some kind of uh, threat that Putin thought was coming his way, and he decided to anticipate uh, something that's been happening from below or from, or from his a threat from his colleagues, whatever it was, because it does look like a special operation. Um, originally, Putin announced in his State of the Nation address just a few days ago, he said that uh, he will convene the Constitutional Assembly, there will be um, all kinds of deliberations, and then uh, later this year we will see uh, probably some amendments coming. But then, three days later, we have the amendments. Uh, so they are submitted to the Duma, and um, we basically now can read and uh, discuss uh, the amendments. And uh, with despite the fact that they're already submitted and we can check out the, uh, the, the news, it's still unclear um, 
what role Putin is uh, uh, sees himself playing. Well, myself, I would say, originally, I was thinking along the lines of um, the Nazarbayev, uh, Nusultan Nazarbayev, Kazakhstan president, who uh, last year stepped down from presidency and uh, remained, stayed on as uh, Security Council uh, chair in his country, sort of in a, in a, in a, following in the steps of Deng Xiaoping of China or Li Kuan Yu of um, Singapore, uh, you know, the statesman who would stay on, continue to oversee the political system and uh, see their, uh, you know, continue to, but with uh, other politicians playing uh, the main roles. I thought Putin was doing something like that. I think apparently I was mistaken, and uh, indeed uh, Sergei is right. And uh, it does look like more, or let's say it does. It, mo it probably is more likely that Putin uh, intends to remain officially in power in in the in, in some kind of a senior, or let's say top, actually in the top position for indefinite uh, period of time. So, uh, but the thing is, I, I think what's important, or just to, dis to try and describe you, uh, you know, the predicament of uh, somebody who's Russian, like myself, I'm Russian, I've been trying to cover, covering Russia and Russia's politics for a long, long time. The predicament is that basically you are in the dark. And uh, you know that all kinds of changes still could be introduced again, because there's only one source of legislation in Russia. It's um, this collective government. Uh, there is uh, the administration, the presidential administration. There is the government. There are uh, ministries of the government, but um, essentially, those are uh, with administration being the chief and most important. Um, center of legislative, uh, legislative activity. There's no parliament. There's no deliberation. There's no discussion. Uh, the, there is a top-down process. Essentially, what we see is a top-down rewrite of the rules that no one is allowed to participate in, uh, and we are all left with uh, what we are actually doing now, uh, trying to figure it out post factum. And um, uh, Sergei's analysis is very good, and uh, I, I do think that he's right in the sense that uh, originally we thought that it would be uh, 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 kind of the presidency would be diluted. It does seem that the presidency is not going to be diluted, uh, or uh, it, uh, on the contrary, uh, the, the institution of the presidency will be even uh, more, uh, it gets even stronger and more powerful after uh, those, all, all those amendments, despite the new powers that some of the branches of government are getting. Um, so, but what we see is still this top-down process of a essentially an authoritarian uh, legislative activity with uh, uh, with uh, with a top-down rewrite of uh, the rules. So we are left guessing, uh, which is uh, kind of sad 
and uh, uh, you remain on the sidelines. So that's um, that's all for now. I'd be ready to elaborate. Thank you, Max. Uh, we'll go now to Will Pomerantz. I just want to remind uh, callers, if you'd like to ask a question, just go ahead and hit star one anytime to be added to the question queue, and we'll see it pop up on some type of magical screen here. Um, Will Pomerantz is not only deputy director here at the Kennan Institute, but he is one of the foremost uh, Western observers of Russian law, uh, has in fact recently published a book, Law and the Russian State, Russia's Legal Evolution from Peter the Great to Vladimir Putin. Uh, and so who better to talk to us about what, in fact, uh, the state has in mind with these uh, proposed constitutional amendments and what that order uh, may translate to than Will Pomerantz, please. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, I'm going to follow on from Sergey and to Max um, and emphasize, I think, that, I, that as Sergey said, uh, there, this is not a retreat from a strong presidency, but in fact that the presidency has been reinforced. And indeed, when you look at his, uh, Putin's address to the nation, the State of the Nation address, he emphasized the important role of unity yet again. And unity is a code word for top-down legality and for the power vertical. And I think if you look at Putin's proposed amendments, uh, they are all enforcing and reinforcing the power vertical. Um, I'll just briefly kind of go over some of these points and then we can uh, illuminate them in more detail in uh, question time. Uh, obviously, there is the strong presidency that he said in his speech that he wanted to maintain and whose powers are in fact enhanced uh, under these amendments, uh, most notably by being able to uh, initiate the removal of judges, both constitu constitutional court judges, um, Supreme Court judges, cassation judges, and appellate judges. This is a huge increase in presidential authority. Uh, there is this question about uh, a stronger legislature and the ability to propose the government, but I think we are a long way from what the French call cohabitation uh, between different parties in the presidency and in the parliament, because I don't believe that in, even with these reforms that you're about to see independent elections for the Duma. Um, we, uh, Max and Sergey talked about the question of the State Council. Uh, the constitutional amendments really punt on the State Council because they say it's going to be primarily defined by law. So we are kind of in the dark about what the Council will do. But it does say that it's going to help define the basic direction of internal and foreign policy. And that would be a major power. Uh, because up until now, it's the presidency who has had the monopoly on defining foreign policy. Um, this notion of unity and uh, the power vertical is reinforced in other parts of these draft legislation as well. There is something called the unified system of public power now. Uh, what that means in practice, we don't know. But the most likely scenario is that it's going to limit uh, local self-government which is already uh, starved of resources anyway. Uh, the power of the procracy is enhanced. Uh, it finally receives what it did not receive in the 1993 Constitution, and that is a constitutional recognition of its powers of supervision, of, able to, of being able to supervise the constitutional system. And uh, this, this power was granted to the procracy largely by a legislation, but Putin now has put the procracy right back into the Constitution and put it in essentially kind of almost an equal with the judiciary because it is going to be responsible 
for uh, supervising the Russian Constitution. Um, finally, I'll just emphasize if there's potential loser in all these amendments, it is the judiciary. Uh, the size of the constitutional court is going to be shrunk from 19 to 11 members. And I think, uh, while we can only speculate as to why, I think uh, the most likely reason is that a smaller court is easier to control than 19 judges, uh, with some judges uh, usually writing their dissents. Uh, I've already mentioned about the right to uh, remove judges. And finally, there is this unique um, uh, part, amendment which essentially turns the constitutional court into an administrative organ. Uh, if the president vetoes a bill and if the legislature over, overrides the veto, then instead of the law taking effect, uh, the president has a right to ask the constitutional court whether the law is constitutional uh, before any case has been presented to the court. And so I think this is yet again uh, putting the constitutional court in an awkward position because it's very un it's unlikely, as long as Putin is in charge, that it would find, uh, ag agree with the legislature and somehow not be in a position to have to find the law unconstitutional. Uh, we've just begun the process of the amendments. Uh, again, uh, Putin said there was going to be time to draft the amendments, and they appeared very quickly. Uh, the Duma and the legislature will review them. Uh, they will go through a first, second, and third readings but I think that the large outline has already been defined by the presidency's office. So with that, I'll stop. Thanks very much, Will. Um, again, if you want to ask a question, uh, hit star one on your phone to be added to the queue. Uh, let me begin the discussion with uh, maybe um, kind of a bubble-bursting observation. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, my intuition in all of this is we are – being easily sucked in by terminology, the fact that we're speaking about constitution, the fact that we're speaking about uh, amendments to laws, the fact that we're speaking about courts and judges, uh, it all gives a kind of veneer of modernity, albeit authoritarian modernity, to this discussion, uh, when in fact it seems to me in at least three very important respects uh, you have all already noted the ways in which what we are observing is something that would have taken place at any point over the last hundred years of Russian and Soviet history. Uh, let me explain what I mean. Number one, that this was a surprise. Uh, Soviet leaders, the more authoritarian they were, the more likely they were to seek to surprise the other elements in the system, uh, as well as any anti-systemic elements. It's a better way to preserve power, to act uh, on the basis of surprise. It's almost a military uh, tactic, if you will, and Vladimir Putin has practiced this consistently for 20 years. Here he's done it again. Uh, number two, uh, Sergei, I think, mentioned this, the idea that there may have been some subterranean, some unseen uh, rivalries within the system uh, that this was, in a sense, a response to, that this may have been as much triggered by uh, the big arc of the Putin regime that we know about, which is 2024 and so on, uh, but it may have been just as much triggered by some type of rivalries within the system that we didn't know about. Again, that's an absolutely common, almost ubiquitous theme in 100 years of Soviet and post-Soviet history. Uh, and then third, and this is the one I think we touched on the least, and I'd like to make my question, um, the idea that the government resigned to make room for a constitutional reform process is, is of course, patently um, 
untrue. Uh, it's clear that the resignation of the government was more than anything about moving Dmitry Medvedev out of the position of prime minister and moving some other people around that we'll probably learn about soon. My question is whether this was fundamentally about Medvedev's performance, in particular with respect to what he was supposed to do for Mr. Putin, which was implement the national projects, or if you will, a six-year plan, right, reminiscent of a five-year plan, and he underperformed the plan as the accounts chamber of Mr. Kudrin has told us over and over and over that the plan is being underspent, it's being underperformed. Um, to what extent was this about performance and to what extent was this about something different that Medvedev wasn't providing, that Putin needed in that role? Who'd like to take that question? Well, I could uh, try. Sorry. Okay, go ahead, Max. Yeah, just quickly. Uh, basically, I think there are there are two things. I, I do agree, Matt, that uh, Medvedev's government, I mean, from some point of view, did underperform, despite that uh, they really couldn't, I think, perform any better because uh, the political challenges created by the Kremlin prevented uh, the technocrats from really doing their jobs, um, I mean, really achieving things the way they could, because the actual the technocratic side of uh, the Russian government is fairly, uh, is fairly good. We have a, a, a functioning uh, finance ministry, um, really well-governed central bank, etc., etc., uh, but because of the aggressive foreign policy, uh, there, there were very harsh limits on what the government could achieve. So I would uh, sort of cautiously and moderately uh, defend um, Medvedev in that, in that sense. But on the other hand, also, I think, uh, uh, of course, uh, he was a weak prime minister. Uh, uh, the other, so this is one thing. So Putin does need, um, I think, economic growth, and he will be trying to get uh, get it all started. Uh, the other thing, I think, is, is Medvedev has been seen for all those years as essentially as a cover for so-called systemic liberals. Uh, um, the 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 government ministers or other officials who are uh, considered sort of on the on a bit on the liberal side uh, of um, the spectrum, and uh, for Putin and um, those who are close to him, those are uh, always those people are, are always compromised because the strategic strategic direction uh, of Russia under Putin is uh, becoming more and more sovereign, what they call sovereign, essentially being as um, independent from the rest of the world, especially from the West, especially from the U.S., as possible. And lots of things are seen uh, by the Kremlin uh, as being influenced by the U.S. or the West at large, despite the things that have been happening recently, despite the fact that under uh, President Trump, uh, the U.S. Is, is not the kind of U.S. we, uh, we knew before. So basically, um, there, there's still, I think, I would say that there are both things. There are two directions that uh, Medvedev has been seen by Putin and company as someone who's um, forever compromised as being uh, yeah. essentially a kind of uh, latently pro-Western pro, pro, pro Western 
uh, politician uh, who would, uh, you know, try and build the the, the kind of Western-inspired institutions in Russia. Um, and Russia needs its own sovereign institutions, even in even the internet. Thank you, Max. Uh, I want to get right to the questions in the queue, but I'll quickly give uh, both Will and Sergey a chance to weigh in on Medvedev and the national projects and so on. Yeah, so I think I think the question of Medvedev's performances is less uh, relevant. I think Medvedev existed to be fired. <laughs> that at some point someone had to be blamed, and uh, he has or, been. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and he has been remarkably loyal, and after being put in very uncomfortable positions. So I think um, Putin's, that, that, that Medvedev has only existed at some point to be fired and then to move in a different direction and to have to take the blame. Um, I think what's interesting in terms of the national projects, vis-a-vis the economy, et cetera, uh, Putin has emphasized, in fact, uh, he wants to reinforce social rights. Uh, that, that was part of the constitutional amendments. That was part of his address, State of the Nation address. And uh, instead of putting money into national projects, I think Putin might just uh, be emphasizing social spending instead. I perfectly, perfectly agree with, with Will. Uh, <clears throat> I think the person, <clears throat> person of Dmitry Medvedev is uh, always not so important in the game. And uh, mm-hmm. this situation when we have uh, lots of very important uh, constitutional amendments and the uh, change of government, uh, uh, all the all the Russian government, it's a it's a part of the game just just to disturb, uh, just to um, uh, just to avoid the uh, real uh, discussion and real attention to public to the matter uh, to the very important matter. Very important matter is the debt of Russian constitution and change. Uh, the, this uh, um, uh, this huge change of, of uh, Russian uh, constitutional uh, state. Uh, I think uh, if you saw one time in your life the game of three shell, it's first always fast, and uh, second uh, too much different movements, too much different words, different jests, different different. Uh, if if the gamer. Uh, have uh, um, uh, have four hands in the same time. It's it's almost the situation of uh, rationale. Okay, thank you both. Uh, I'm going to go right to our calls. Um, since our first question is going to come from Jill Doherty, this is a perfect opportunity for me to advertise the second episode of the Kenan X podcast series, uh, which is hosted by Jill Doherty. Uh, and will be entitled Nuclear Insecurity Should New Start Die, uh, including interviews with former U.S. Ambassador to Russia John Byerly uh, and former NATO Deputy Secretary General Rose Gottemuller. So, uh, Jill, uh, with that little advertisement for your work, uh, your question, please. Matt, thank you very much. I appreciate that, and I hope people really can listen. This is a very helpful session, and I appreciate everybody who's participating and talking about this. I had a question. Um, you know, when we started, we, you were talking about presidential power, but uh, there is this theory that now that um, we don't exactly know what will happen to the state council, Gustav Stanislavik, but 
one of the theories, of course, is that it could be beefed up and strengthened, and it already has been pointed out, I think by Will, that it will deal with foreign policy and domestic policy. Is it um, you know, correct to think that President Putin would want to become head of that? He will be head of that, and, but he could beef it up, and that would be his power, which would not be as a president, but as a, um, uh, you know, power behind the throne or beyond the throne. Thank you. Yeah, great, great question, Jill. And, and it's a chance to clarify exactly what the speakers meant by saying that rather than weakening the presidency, these reforms strengthen the presidency. Because if Putin were to just content himself through the Deng Xiaoping uh, state council chairmanship and leave the presidency to someone else, then all these formal powers, Will, you mentioned the ability to fire all the judges, these do reside with the president and not with the chair of the state council as far as we know. Yes, yes, it would be. And the question is, if Putin, depending on how events unfold over the next four years, depending on what is actually in the law about the state council, um, will Putin be able to control the system and not be president? I guess that, that's, that's the crucial issue. And the answer is we don't know. Um, it all depends on, on the transition. Uh, it depends on who he puts in as president. Uh, one would have thought that Medvedev would be a fine second-term president, uh, if only because he's so loyal to Putin and would allow Putin to control the presidency via the state council. But let's just clarify one thing. No one is saying here that Putin will remain as president. He hasn't amended the Constitution to allow that. He, ha he has amended the Constitution so that the president can serve only two terms. I agree with Sergei. Just because he's amended the Constitution in 2020 doesn't mean he doesn't amend the Constitution in 2023 uh, and says, well, then maybe I should stay president. Uh, interestingly, he has decided that in order to engage the people in approving this, these constitutional amendments, he's not going to hold a formal referendum, which is by law a very high, 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 high threshold to pass, but he's just going to have a national plebiscite. And who's not to say that in 2024, uh, as events develop and how Putin feels, that he doesn't say, okay, we've had the principle of a national plebiscite. The national plebiscite adopted the 1993 constitution. The uh, National Plebiscite adopted our major reforms to the Constitution. Who's not to say that um, let's amend the Constitution one more time and let me stay president? Uh, Max, Sergey, any, any burning comments on this? Uh, go on to more questions. Okay. Uh, let me take no. another question. Let me take another question now from uh, William Courtney. Uh, Bill, go ahead. Uh, Matt, thanks much. Uh, thanks for this great discussion. The new prime minister has a strong background as an investment banker and economic administrator, replacing a prime minister who did not have that kind of background. And President Putin outlined ambitious goals for increasing the economic growth rate, uh, but yet did not outline any bold reforms for achieving that. Uh, what's the make of the sense of this in terms of is economic reform going to be more important as a way of improving economic growth? or is the Kremlin still having difficulties coming up with a strategy for that? Uh, 
Thanks, Bill. So, so uh, Max, why don't we go to you? Uh, again, the question is, you know, what, what is signals here with bringing in Mishustin? And I just throw out one uh, version uh, of, of this decision that I've heard uh, from, from Russian coverage is Mishustin made the tax process work and he made it transparent. Now he has to do the same for the spending side of the House. Does that sound about right? Uh, what do you think of the uh, idea? Well, of yeah, roughly, although uh, he does seem, does seem to have a kind of a complicated uh, biography, and uh, his stint as a, as a private, uh, in private business was uh, very, very short. So basically he is a career bureaucrat who used to work for a long, long time in various capacities and uh, with uh, tax uh, tax ministry and uh, as, as a deputy then, and then for a long time as um, as the head of the internal revenue the the equivalent of uh, IRS in, in uh, Russia so basically uh, he seems to be uh, well from Putin's point apparently why would you choose a person like this apart from astonishing everyone because I don't know a single person who would guess that name uh, is uh, that he is a technocrat and that he does not seem to have a, any political ambition um, uh, but what I basically very briefly I would say that uh, Putin's idea of how you achieve economic growth is radically different from what is normally meant by policies that would be pro-growth, um, you know, anti-cyclicals, things like that. Putin's, uh, Putin's economics is different. Uh, he has shown the, for years and years that he does not trust, uh, you know, creating independent institutions, promoting free enterprise, uh, deregulating, um, he, uh, for the past 10 to 15 years, his policies led to creeping renationalization of uh, Russia's economy. By various accounts, it's um, from anything uh, about 40% to 70%, depending on how you estimate uh, this. Uh, Russia's economy is state-owned uh, um, uh, and state-governed. Um, so the, apparently Putin's vision is uh, that you need state investment, uh, you need to oversee this investment very clearly, so those national projects apparently uh, are uh, given a very important role in this possible future uh, start of, of Russia's economic growth. Uh, uh, but the, the point is that uh, uh, Medvedev's government contained the remnants, the tiny remnants of those ideas about the economy that were all about uh, promoting independent institutions, free enterprise, uh, you know, defending the uh, property rights, etc. None, none, none of that is going to, going to be uh, Putin's priority and, and the, the, the people he's promoting uh, under this new government. Okay, Will, you had a quick comment. Yeah, on just, it. just that Putin used to use his State of the Nation address to address the question of corruption. Uh, there's nothing in the address that really deals with corruption, and none of these amendments address the fundamental issues of corruption. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, okay, I want to go now to uh, Valeria Jegisman from Voice of America. Please, go ahead, your question. Hi. Um, hi, can you hear me? Yes, please. Yes, uh, thanks. So I just wanted to follow up a little bit on the speed, why um, they are moving so fast. So it was mentioned that there might be some kind of threat or um, an internal rivalry among the elites. So if you could just expand a little bit on why they're moving so fast, that would be appreciated. And my second question, I just wanted to touch a little bit on the nationwide vote. Uh, that's supposed to be in April, as I understand. So I don't know. D does it does it have any kind of meaning? And also, um, how does Russian uh, society sees this kind of constitutional changes? Thank you. Okay. Good. Uh, well, it was me. I think uh, it was me who said about the speed. So basically, uh, very short answer is that we don't know why it's. It's not public. The re there should be a reason. I, I do believe. Usually, there is a reason. Uh, like why you suddenly annex Crimea uh, or why you suddenly ban elections all over you know the entire country so um, and so and this, this is something similar there should be a reason we don't know it okay thanks thanks Max I want to go to Sergey on on the question of the speed and also uh, Valeria I think you asked about the April referendum and what that's going to mean. Yeah, that, in my view, the, the most important things, uh, most important possibility to, to answer why why so so fast is it's something absolutely personal inside Putin. Uh, I think uh, it's important. It's always in Putin, uh, in, in, in important that Putin is full of uh, different uh, superstitions and uh, different different. Uh, religious uh, uh, things, and uh, I never exclude that uh, some uh, some black monks on, or or some uh, uh, church person speak to him, and something like this. I don't see nothing political politically serious in in this situation of today, except maybe. The, the the fact that uh, by by Russian law uh, Duma can't change uh, can't adopt a constitutional amendment one year before the end of his of his mandate mandate. But in in my opinion, it's not so serious. Uh, Putin destroyed now things uh, lots of ver lots of most important things that this uh, this uh, small uh, procedure rule uh, we will have in April uh, or more or less on the end of, the, of this spring we will, we will have this uh, this uh, strange uh, popular vote uh, it's very important that it's not a real uh, referendum uh, it's not uh, something uh, uh, something described, but uh, serious uh, uh, wire rules. It's a very flu uh, procedure, and uh, it will be something from the time of uh, Soviet of Soviet regime, uh, when uh, we have on on the one single word uh, to stay yes or not to uh, if you. Uh, want or not 
the uh, warm lunches uh, on uh, for, for Russian children on on this on on the school, and for the same what we we have to uh, uh, say yes or not if you pro or contra president rule to dismiss a uh, member of uh, constitutional court. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, absolutely formal thing and uh, it's very easy to manipulate and uh, I'm sure that uh, lots of Russians will, uh, uh, will, re will refuse to uh, participate in this war. Great, great point, Sergey. I want to uh, go now to Michael Waller on the phone. Uh, thank you, Matt. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, my question is this: Do you, do any of you see any possibility of of uh, public debate or public challenge to any of this inside of Russia? And if so, where might that come from? Um, and second, and related to that, um, what do you see um, as changing in Russia's posture vis-à-vis -vis its international relations? How will people? How will other countries react to this? Will they just accept it as uh, just the next chapter in a you know long history that of, of results that they already expect to see, or will this strengthen Russia's hand in in any uh, of its international relations? Thank you. Great, great questions, Michael. Uh, in particular, so so uh, with respect to the uh, public challenge or public debate within Russia, and then in particular with respect to the international reaction. I, mean, I think we know the Western reaction won't exactly be enthusiastic, but uh, I want to go back to this point about Deng Xiaoping, how important it was that the entire world treated him as the top leader of China, even when his formal positions didn't necessarily warrant that. Uh, do you all believe that will continue to be the case with, with Vladimir Putin? Um, Will, go ahead. Well, I was going to go deal with the second part of the question. Go ahead. Um, uh, I think in terms of international relations, I think, as Matt suggested, I think it will just be broadly accepted and that the West is not going to have any impact on the internal construction of the Russian Constitution. Uh, in terms of its relationship to international law, there is a very important question about the amendments in the Constitution because they have... Uh, enshrine the notion that Ru the Russian Constitution and Russian law uh, is superior if there is a conflict with international law. That is going to put Russia uh, at odds with international principle, but it's unclear exactly how often Russia is going to uh, exercise this right. Uh, in 2015, uh, the Rus Russia, uh, uh, Putin amended Russian law to allow the Constitutional Court to overturn European Court of Human Rights decisions if they violated the Russian Constitution. Um, so far, that has only occurred twice. So uh, to what extent Russia is going to back away from international law, uh, to use this new constitutional principle to diminish international tribunals is something that we'll have to wait and see uh, to understand. Sergey, did you want to comment in particular on the likelihood of protest or debate uh, or any debate? Yeah, uh, it was very interesting. Just uh, another day after this uh, Putin's declaration, uh, Alexei Navalny, the most uh, important and most uh, viewed person of uh, Russian, uh, Russian opposition, declared, we don't have to defend this, uh, this constitution. Uh, this is a uh, uh, um, uh, this is a constitution who make Russians 
slave of dictatorship. You mean the the current constitution? Yeah, the current, the the the, the past constitution. Yeah. constitution. Yeah. The the uh, uh, the the, the uh, actually dead constitution. Uh, I don't agree with this. I do, I don't buy this. Uh, because uh, it, uh, it's not the constitution who make people slaves or not. Uh, people make themselves slaves or not. Uh, and this constitution uh, con con content all we need to create uh, a, a democracy. And even uh, this uh, uh, cohabitation regime that, uh, that uh, uh, well uh, mentioned, uh, on the beginning of our conversation, even this cohabitation regime was possible uh, because of this constitution on the end of the time of uh, Boris Yeltsin, where had one year of uh, this uh, cohabitation situation with uh, uh, President Yeltsin and uh, uh, created by Yeltsin's opposition uh, government uh, of uh, Primakov. So, uh, lots of possibility, lots of checks and balances on this constitution, lots of guarantee of, of freedom uh, uh, and uh, rights uh, on this constitution. And uh, uh, all the uh, detail of, of um, uh, authoritarian, uh, authoritarian Putin's regime was just because the uh, fraud of this constitution, because of violation of this, of this, of this constitution. But uh, we see now uh, a total absence of uh, activity of Russian, uh, Russian opposition to defend uh, this, uh, constitu this constitutional regime. Uh, because, uh, yeah, that's all. I think, let me, let me uh, be, in view of time, let me go to uh, Ken Yalowitz for a last question, and then I'm going to go to all three of our speakers and offer them a final word on anything they want to comment on. Ken, please. Ken Yalowitz, are you there? Okay, Hello. let me, yes, yeah. go ahead, please. Your question, Ken. Yeah. Uh, my, my question is, uh, you know, seven years or so ago when uh, Putin did the uh, quick change with Medvedev, uh, large crowds came into the streets. Uh, that has not happened this time. And I wanted to ask the panelists why. And secondly, I wanted to ask that, you know, what you're all indicating, you know, is the future of economic stagnation, growing isolation, uh, more reliance on the Russian constitution rather than international law, uh, whether or not there will be a reaction internally, you know, against this Putin direction, uh, and that what we may see is a delayed reaction to this. All right. Uh, so, Ken, let's hold, hold your questions for just a moment. Uh, economic stagnation, isolation, et cetera, uh, and, and whether there will be a, a reaction down the line. And I want to take one more question from, uh, nope, I'm being told we don't have one more question. Okay, great. So we will wrap up. Max, let's go to you first, uh, and then I'll come back to, uh, to Will and Sergey. Uh, well, okay. So if uh, we're talking about why um, nobody is, or very few people are uh, defending um, the Constitution, is that um, it 
seen uh, generally, as I understand by the general public, is a fairly abstract uh, document uh, that does not concern them in uh, their everyday life. Uh, traditionally, legislation in Russia has been uh, the prerogative of the central government, historically, not just under Putin, not just under the Soviet Union. It's been uh, uh, it's uh, Russia's history. So I don't think that um, there's it's, it's not like in the U.S. where the Constitution is something that uh, at least there is a debate about it, and uh, the Democrats say this and the Republicans say that. But um, in our case, uh, I think it's um, it's a fairly limited subject. Um, so it's hard to and, – and also we have a very uh, – if we're talking about the people, oppositionally-minded, critically-minded people, uh, one of the uh, opposition politicians, Alexei Navalny, says that you don't need to defend this constitution because it's not a functioning document and it's super presidential anyway. So we, sh we need to find a way to write our new constitution, new laws that won't be uh, those, uh, you know, the authoritarian uh, uh, legal framework that uh, Russia's uh, current legislation is. That's basically uh, the picture. You're quite right. I, I'm reminded, Max, of the famous images of people who take up arms against the government of the United States, and they often give press conferences with a copy of the Constitution tucked visibly in a shirt pocket. That's definitely part of the style of American opposition. Sergey, we'll go to you. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Well, uh, it, it is a difficult question. Um, I, I agree with Max's analysis, quite frankly, that uh, people don't think the Constitution is a major part of their daily lives. Um, it was a Constitution that was that emerged out of conflict, um, and its only justification by many of the authors of the Constitution was that it was better to have a Constitution than to not have a Constitution. So I don't think that is really a rallying cry for people to go out and defend this current Constitution. Um, and as a side note, I think, um, at least in Moscow, there was obviously lots of protests in Moscow over the summer and fall uh, over the question about Moscow City Council elections. And I guess uh, that used up a lot of the energy uh, in terms of protests, and that uh, people decided that in the middle of January uh, they didn't want to go out to the streets again. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, second. I think maybe the the most important and most uh, most sad thing of uh, all, all, all this stuff uh, in Moscow today that it, it's not a, not a moment of decision. Why is the role of uh, Vladimir Putin on the life of Russian on the history of Russian constitution? That's the moment uh, of uh, decision. What is the role of constitution on the destiny of, uh, of Putin? It's a constitution for Putin now. It's constitution he, he is used as instrument to personal career of just one Russian president. And historically, it's a very sad, it's a very tragic, tragic moment. We, we will, we will uh, uh, have to live for... Uh, years and destiny, uh, or, or uh, and decades, uh, under the constitution created to conserve Putin on the pop, uh, on, on the power, even after Putin, uh, it it will be very difficult uh, to change it. It will be very difficult to return on the on the path of normal constitutional 
uh, develop development of the of the country. Well, uh, before we end, uh, Ken, since you invited it, I want to offer maybe a slightly more hopeful note, which is um, even though it's a low probability, uh, I think the idea that uh, Putin is, for his own reasons, seeking to try to create more balance among institutions of power and to ensure that the uh, national project's spending, which is vital for Russia's economic growth, actually happens, in other words, an injection of cash from the state, that I think those two things added together, if they're not completely obliterated by corruption, which is a big if, you never go wrong in Russia betting on corruption, uh, if those two things happen, that there is a prospect that Russia doesn't drift even farther in the direction of stagnation and isolation, but it's probably a limited prospect. With that, I want to thank all three of our speakers, uh, Max, Sergey, and Will, and I want to thank everybody for calling in uh, and uh, officially uh, bring this Ground Truth Briefing to a close. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for your participation in today's conference. Please disconnect at this time. Thank you.